Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Wilson, and this is the American League edition of our MLB season betting preview. Today, we're going to break down every team in the American League from a win total, division, and pennant perspective. There's going to be plenty of gambling takeaways from the pod. Plus, there's going to be some notes on some fantasy baseball out there. And no MLB podcast is complete with the Action Network unless we have our own MLB expert, Sean Zarillo on. Sean, have you been integrating any dark arts or code breaking into your previews and into your projections for some of these teams? Yeah, I actually hacked into the Astros system and stole all my projections directly from them. So uh, we're going to be going through some of their internal data today. We're going to start off here with the Astros, but you know, before we do that, we want to keep a couple points in mind for this podcast. When we talk about fantasy baseball, we're not going to go deep into you know ADP, average draft position. We're going to talk about draft position as it relates to like a standard five by five roto, just average draft position about where somebody should go as far as their value. Sean, do you have any points you want to have everybody keep in mind as we go along? Just three points. When you're looking at win totals, betting it at a particular book, that book is going to be overinflated compared to the 2,430 wins that teams add up to at the end of an MLB season. Some books might be 10 wins over, some books might be 30 wins over, but that generally lends value in betting unders even before you account for the fig that you have to pay on each side. Because everybody likes to bet an over. Everybody gears themselves towards an over. Nobody wants to root against the team for a season, except for us crazy people. There's going to be a nice little stat for the Yankees coming up here about how much, uh, you know, if you should be taking overs or unders on teams that have high expectations. Absolutely. So defensive teams generally tend to outperform their expectations. We've seen good defensive teams in the past, like the Rays or the Arizona Diamondbacks the past few years really overachieving. Last thing to keep in mind for this year with 26-man rosters, you know, how teams are going to go and utilize that spot. Do they have a two-way player who could both pitch and hit? Just keep in mind with the new rule how uh, teams are going to deploy that 26-man. You know, I think Sean brings up a really good point, especially you have to talk about teams that are defensive because the Pakoda projections, I'm not sure really ever takes that into account because, you know, the 2015 Royals were projected at 72 wins. They end up with over 90 when the World Series. Last year, the Twins were projected at 81 wins. They ended up winning over 100, just outperforming everything. I think defense is such a big part of the handicap. And we're going to get to that more with the National League because Castellanos and, and Moose possibly playing second base and third base for a team that I love, we all love. We'll get to that on the end pod but I mean defense plays a factor here and you know and until like Suarez gets back I can't even I can't imagine what the defensive metrics are going to be for teams that are just so offensive minded high fly ball to center and that ball's hit Upton going back back to the wall home run with that said let's roll right into the hottest topic in Major League Baseball which is the Houston Astros. This team, uh, you know, you know all the offseason talk with the buzzers, the trash cans. Uh, players are now reporting and talking about how it's had a direct effect on their season. You know, we're going to find, I'm sure more and more will leak out about this team. And, you know, the general consensus is, is 
how is this going to affect some of the offensive players that are on their team? So let's go ahead and break it down. In 2019, their projected win total was 96 and a half. They finished with 107. Now their Pythag wins last year was 107. And if, if you're familiar with our college football or, or, or NFL, we have second order win total, which is kind of a cousin to Pythagorean, which says your runs scored versus your runs against. Did you actually earn the record that you have? So with the Houston Astros, they won 107. Pythag says they should have won 107. So they were on par with that. But their current total right now at Westgate is 94 and a half. Sean, you got them projected at 94 wins. Uh, do you see anything up or down about this team? So I have Houston projected at 94 wins. I've been there since, you know, I first put out my projections for this year. Uh, they had already lost Cole by that point. They haven't done anything to necessarily upgrade their roster. Also lost Wade Miley, lost Will Harris, who was their most trusted reliever in the postseason. They, they've kind of taken a clustered loss in their pitching department, especially when you add in the fact that they lost Charlie Morton last year, you know, losing two top 15 starters in baseball, potentially the best starter in baseball and Garrett Cole really takes a big hit out of them. You never mind the fact that in the playoffs, they really seem to be struggling for who is going to start after Grinky in a potential playoff series. So now you're one starter shy. You have a couple of 37 year old starters coming into the season with Grinky and Verlander. You have a manager who tends to overwork his pitchers and Dusty Baker. Their lineup without a single pitcher on their current roster, if you just gave them a bunch of free agent pitchers, they're still an 82-win team. They, they have the highest projected war amongst any offensive group of players at baseball. You know, they, they're also a strong defensive unit. That just shows you it speaks to the, the quality of position players on this Astros team. Jordan Alvarez is potentially a Hall of Fame hitter. I mean, he's another David Ortiz to me. His WRC Plus last year was 178 if you had given him a full season of at-bats. With that, he would have been the only hitter ranked behind Mike Trout. Kristen Yellow was at 174. Trout was at 180. So it speaks to his quality. They're just an extremely deep offense. They play defense well. And, uh, you know, the, the only concern is just about them taking a step back in terms of their starting pitching. They've had plenty of cluster injuries to that staff in recent years. Lance McCullers, uh, you know, hasn't really pitched more than 120 innings. He missed most of the last year so. Rotation depth is a big concern for them. Patched together those last three spots in the rotation. They don't necessarily impress you in uh, the corner outfield as much as you think an elite team like them would. But other than that, they're still uh, an elite team. And I think people tending to fade them all the way down to 94 wins. I'm, I'm starting to lean towards the over, even though I'm right there. Right. Do you have, do you take any effect with Dusty Baker becoming the manager? I mean, he's great for the clubhouse. He's great for the players, but the reputation is, is he's going to run the arm off of any of your pitchers. And that goes back to the Mark Pryor, Kerry Wood years. And if you look at it, the number of times he's had a pitcher uh, where he's managed a team and they've gone over 120 pitches, especially in the last couple of years with the Nats, it had gone down uh, tremendously over the beginning of his career, say when he was with the Cubs. But at the same time, he had Max Scherzer on his staff, who I don't know if he could pull him off the mound at Max is going to be on the mound if he wants to. But if you saw when he got the job here with the Astros, he claims that he follows analytics now, that he's a sabermetrics guy. And it just kind of reminds me of Mike McCarthy getting the Cowboys job saying all of a sudden he pays attention to stats and it's going to have an effect on how he uh, manages and coaches a team. Do you think it is a positive or a negative for Dusty Baker during the regular season and in the postseason as a manager? I think Hinch was one of the better managers in baseball, was at least respected in the regard that he was. The changeover, sudden changeover of losing him, losing your general manager, losing the assistant GM who were out there using analytics to hunt for pitchers who had spin rates that they thought that they could manipulate for different reasons. I think that's in general is a hit, but there's nothing that you can quantify in terms of, you know, reducing their projected win total as a result of that, because you expect them to acquire lesser players in season or something like that. You have to project them based off of what they are now. Um, my only remark on Baker is that if 
he was given this job so quickly and seemed to be the front runner for it. The Rays, which is where Houston's new GM, James Cliff, came from, and the Astros are, are two of the better teams in baseball at kind of keeping a communication pipeline from the ownership to the GM down to the manager and, and all having one vision. So I, I'm sure it's been communicated, you know, throughout these interviews with Baker about their plan with regards to managing their staff, the fact that they have two older starting pitchers who are Hall of Famers, but getting up there in years. And, you know, the, the Astros and the Rays specifically deploy their pitchers a little bit differently, especially the, the back end of their rotation that other teams do. They will utilize openers and bring in middle relievers early than they need to. So I, I think he has the, the resources and the infrastructure around him to manage the staff without getting anybody injured. But, uh, you know, it's, it's his history. So maybe he has changed over the years. Well, I definitely probably won't be seeing McCullers throw 120 pitches anytime early this season. Uh, as far as the lineup goes offensively, if Josh Reddick happens to have an injury, there's a pretty good fill in that the Astros have, correct? Yeah. Kyle Tucker, former number five overall pick. He, he had a 30, 30 year in the minors last year. He was 20, 20 the year before, even if Reddick does what he's been doing, Tucker has a chance to take playing time away from him. He's, you know, another potential star in that lineup as if they need more. But they they gladly traded away Derek Fisher, who had been kind of in that Tucker role the past few years. They traded him away to Toronto. So now Tucker's in the the driver's seat for more playing time. And, it, you know, he's, he's one of my sleepers for fantasy this year. I mean, he's not much of a sleeper because he's so well-regarded and has such a high pedigree. But I, I certainly think he's worth drafting and stashing under bench in the event that he does get more playing time because he, he has the potential to be a contributor across all five categories. Yeah. I mean, from a fantasy perspective, Kyle Tucker, somebody you're going to want to grab in a dynasty league. If he's not already taken in a keeper league, you're going to want to have him in a late round one year league. This is somebody that you're going to want to have, going to want to have, even if it's just 400 plate appearances from a pitching perspective, Jose Urquidy, his first two starts against the Rangers and Cardinals, he went 13 innings pitched, had two earned runs and 15 Ks. There was, you know, a little bit of regression after that. How do we see his development for 2020? So I'm actually a fan of Urquidy. Really like his changeup. He looked really good in the playoffs coming out of the bullpen. But he's he's somebody who projects well by Pakoda. You know, he has good command. I, I think he's his skills should translate well to the major league level. It's just a question of durability. He's not the biggest guy. So, like I said, it's it's going to kind of be a patchwork thing with the bottom of this Astros rotation between McCullers or Quidi, uh, maybe Josh James getting in there, Framber Valdez. So how they allocate those innings will be really interesting to me. But I, I think of all of them, Urquidy has by far the most upside. Yeah, I agree. So Urquidy and Tucker from a fantasy perspective, and I think you got to keep your eyes on Bregman and Altuve. They're actually dropped in their ADP and their value uh, as far as some of these fantasy drafts are concerned. I, I don't think that there's going to be that big of a difference in what they've done in the regular season in the playoffs versus what they're going to do this season. So maybe look some for some value if some Astro players are dropping in your drafts. And Scott Rowland hits one into deep left field. Back at the wall, a leap and a catch! That's going to take us to their biggest contender, what we think in the AL West, which is the Oakland Athletics. Now, last year, their win total was set by Vegas at 83 and a half, and their 2019 wins came out to 97. Completely surprised everybody with a season like that. And their 2019 Pythag came out to 97. Now, they were at 95. Their Pythag was 95 in 2018. So this is nothing new for the Oakland A's. This is a team I have completely believed is always built to dominate the regular season, not really built to be in the postseason. Tell me what you see with the A's. I'm at 91 wins on the A's. Clay Davenport, whose projection I referenced before for the Astros, he does excellent projections, former editor, I believe, of Baseball Prospectus. He's at 83 for the A's, which is one of the biggest differences between our two projections. 
but I'll note that he was at 85 and 76 the past two years and they won 97 games each of the past two years. So maybe it's one of those teams that he, whatever method he's using has a more difficult time projecting. I have similar trouble with Milwaukee, Colorado, Tampa Bay, just because they, they do things a little bit differently or play in different environments than other teams do. So that's, that's where I tend to find my biggest discrepancies from the market. But, you know, Bob Melvin, uh, one of the better managers in baseball, been there since 2011 with Billy Bean. This team hasn't added any pieces. Uh, if anything, they lost stuff. They lost Trident, Homer Bailey, Brett Anderson, Tanner Roark, but nothing of major significance. But, you know, when you're talking about the Oakland A's, you, you start with Matt Chapman and Matt Olson at the corners. It's probably the best corner infield doing in baseball. Chapman, the best defender on the planet. Come at me with your Nolan Arenado hot takes. I don't care. Chapman is better. Uh, Olsen led first baseman in DRS. He was plus 18. Chapman led all players in DRS. He was plus 34. I believe he's also, he's only played for two and a half seasons, but over the past three years, he's uh, second in MLB and DRS. So just the fact that he's only played that extra half season and is well ahead of many players who have played three full seasons speaks to his quality. And then the other thing is uh, arm strength. That really, that really stands out with me with the A's. Uh, Chapman is a cannon, but Ramon Laureano in center, uh, their new catcher, Sean Murphy, behind the plate. All these guys have absolute guns. So I don't know if this is something that the A's are specifically scouting for, but it really jumps off the page when you watch their games. These guys can just whip the ball around. Yeah, in case you don't know, if you're not an A's fan, which, you know, I've gone to a few games out there in the O.co and, and they have such a f- passionate fan base for the ones that are there watching these guys roam the outfield. They have they have cannons. I mean, it's worth a YouTube visit for Ramon Laureano. You know, there's there's a couple of prospects in this system. There's some guys that have had injury. A.J. Puck is a guy that I was that I hot on years before. I, I think the second he got into the Oakland system, it was somebody that I wanted in my dynasty league. So, you know, two years ago, I was happy to hop on him. He's had injury since then. It looks like he finally has a clean bill of health. Uh, what's the outlook for the lefty AJ Puck? I haven't heard anything about an innings limit for either Puck or Zardo. So I, I think Puck is certainly a guy I'm extremely high on. I think that's part of the reason why we're both so high on this A's team is we see the the vast potential with these two lefties to be top of the rotation pitchers. So Puck is six foot seven. He's a lefty. When you think about that height and him already throwing 97 and getting extra extension towards the plate, you're talking about perceived velocity close to or over 100 miles an hour. So it's, it's not just the fact that he throws 97. It's the fact that he's so tall and gets so much extra length towards the plate. And he's got an, a, you know, a plus plus slider on top of that. So Puck is a guy I'm going to be targeting in drafts. I think even if he doesn't, you know, throw 180, 200 innings, if, even if he's giving you 140 to 150, he's going to be extremely valuable, put up good ratios, probably get some wins. Puck is your guy. Hazel Lazardo, who's their other lefty, is, is my single favorite prospect in baseball. He's mm-hmm. probably my single favorite prospect since I started following baseball as closely as I have. I, I got a chance to watch one of his single A starts right after he came over to the A system. He, he was in the Sean Doolittle, Ryan Madsen trade from the Nationals. And it was one of the most impressive pitching performances I've ever seen. Fastball. He, he throws a sur- slurve like breaking ball, but fastball change up his breaking ball working at all levels, complete command, um, just blowing dudes away. He pitched in the wild card game last year and threw three shutout dominant innings. His favorite pitcher growing up was Johan Santana. It's pretty evident when you watch him. He, he kind of has a similar style. He's got a good build. I think this is a number one starter in the making if he stays healthy. It's safe to say that you and I both like Oakland a lot, but they did wipe out three of the catchers that they had in the rotation last year. Do we have to worry about, you know, who's going to be framing the pitches and who's going to be catching all these guys? 
So I actually really like Sean Murphy. Oakland has a loaded system and he's yet another top prospect, but he's got a really good short swing, compact swing, a little bit of power upside. His carrying card is defense. So I think, you know, they, they know full well what they were doing by turning over all three of their catchers. It was Chris Herman, Fagley, and uh, Dustin Garneau. And now they're rolling with Austin Allen and Murphy. You know, the one problem that the Oakland A's have is, is just power in general. Like they don't have much outfield power. They're kind of built for the ballpark they have. But one guy who I think is going to have a major bounce back is Chris Davis. I mean, Chris Davis with a K. Uh, he's played 150 plus ball games with 40 plus home runs for three years straight before he had an injury. He came back from his injury last year and he had lost two miles per hour off of his exit velocity and his launch angle was a lot lower. And I just think that when he came back from injury last year, I don't think he was completely healthy for an extended period of time. It took him a few weeks to even get a ball over the fence. Uh, I think he played the remainder of the season hurt. Hopefully the off season, he can adjust his, his launch angle, uh, get the velocity, exit velocity back on his swing. But I think Chris Davis is a great bounce back candidate. I certainly agree with that. You know, he, he physically looked uncomfortable uh, during their wild card game. He just didn't look like himself. And he had been a model of consistency prior to that, batting 247 exactly every single year, you know, hitting around 40 home runs with even prorating his his home run totals back to when he was with Milwaukee. He was already always basically a 40 home run a year guy. So new ball, not concerned about that. You know, that should only aid him, if anything. And uh, I certainly agree at a reduced price. Chris Davis could be a league winner. Uh, I believe split a share of the A's at plus 400, uh, but there is some plus 450s out there. I, I think that's an extremely actionable price. Uh, I like it. I believe I have their chances down at around plus 200, uh, you know, 33% or, or around there. So the A's and the Angels, as we'll get to in a second, both have a good chance of upsetting the Astros here. But of the two, I really prefer Oakland. I think their pitching is just significantly better. Yeah, I completely co-sign on that. So if you're in New Jersey, I think both DraftKings, I think Sugar House and, and Pennsylvania, they're both offering that plus 450. But I completely agree that I like the Oakland A's to win. The AL West, uh, especially, man, if the pitching is on par and healthy, it's going to be something late night watching TV in the summer is going to be fantastic. Davis hits one high and deep to right field. Back goes Betts at the wall. He leaps. Did he get it? He did. Unbelievable catch by Mookie Betts. Let's roll into and do the Angels since we mentioned the Angels. A team that had a 2019 win total set by Vegas at 82 and a half. They underachieved with 72 wins. Pythag says that they should have had 72 wins. Westgate has at 86 and a half. Where is your projection, Sean? I'm at 87. Davenport's at 88. So, you know, all right around there. The thing with the Angels, though, is that they're driven so much by their top two players when you project them out, especially based on Mar. Trout is plus 8.8. Rendon's plus 5.6. And I think those are just projections. So they're they're fourth in position player war. But so much of that is, yeah, I mean, 40% of that is contingent upon Trout and Rendon. Uh, Andrelton Simmons really carries it with his defense, but... Pujols has been a negative player for the past three years, I believe. He's been worth negative 2.6 wins above replacement over the past three years. His WRC Plus has been 77, 90, and 93, and he's making a ton of money. So you're talking about all of this money that could have been reallocated towards Garrett Cole that is just sitting in a pool of Albert Pujols, you know, being tied up. They were able to get Rendon, but it's possible they could have gotten both Rendon and Cole had Pujols not been on the roster. So... He's just an anchor kind of weighing their, everything down and they can't really do much about it. You know, we'll, we'll get into pitching in a second, but uh, it's, it's really a stark contrast between their line of quality and their pitching quality. The one thing that is interesting to me is Mike Trout. 
especially from a fantasy perspective, because I don't think there's really much of a debate. I mean, there's some really good players in MLB that he's hanging out with up at the top of the fantasy rankings. But Trout has mentioned not stealing bases as a way for him to keep healthy. He had only just 11 stolen bases last season, uh, and he hasn't played more than 140 games since 2016. And, and he cut an interview where he said that he feels like stealing bases and that part of his game is probably contributing to some of his injury. Is Trout, from a fantasy perspective, or do the Angels in general, as far as their production on offense, does it take a little bit of a hit? Because he's, A, he's moving up to the two-hole. Uh, I think with Rendon signing, they're probably going to have slot him at the three. Cole Calhoun is gone. Uh, they're going to slot Trout at the two. That kind of takes an effect on his RBIs. And if he's not going to run, it's just a different kind of looking offense. Now, I wouldn't bag on the Angels offense and say it's, you know, it, it, I mean, they definitely have the firepower from, from the sticks. But I just don't think there's going to be as much running from Trout. So from a fantasy perspective, I'm not sure if he's going to be the number one overall player from an offensive perspective by the end of the season. Yeah, line of perspective, you know, Angel's real-life perspective, moving him up to two or him not running doesn't really impact how I view that team. Fantasy perspective, uh, it, it makes me consider taking Acuna over him at one if I have the right. first pick. We're, we're in an era of fantasy baseball where everybody can hit for power and steals are such a commodity that even a, a few steals is so much value, let alone a guy like Acuna who could steal 30. So that could be a differentiator at the top of your drafts. Yeah, and with Rendon behind him, they've got to pitch to him, right? I mean, there's you can't you can pitch around Mike Trout all you want, but you're not going to get away from avoiding a, a huge hitter. So uh, you have to wonder if he sees more pitches than he usually does. As far as their pitching goes, Julio Teheron comes in, Dylan Bundy comes in. You know, I was really surprised. I thought that Garrett Cole, there was a real good chance that Garrett Cole would end up with the Angels instead. Here we are with Teheron and and Dylan Bundy anchoring the staff. Uh, what do you see from this pitching staff? So Andrew Heaney was really good down the stretch last year. He had a 14% swinging strike rate in the second half. Bundy, I initially was super concerned about, I thought Angel Stadium would be a good fit for him because he was such a fly ball pitcher. And I realized that he's actually become more of a ground ball pitcher, especially towards the middle to the end of last year, which is interesting. He's trended towards a ground ball profile. And when you combine that with Simmons and Rendon and their spectacular infield defense, David Fletcher, if he's playing second base, that's a really interesting combination because if you're talking about less fly balls leaving the yard for Bundy and more balls being on the ground that really good defensive infielders could clean up, he could have a surprising season. Tehran never been a huge fan of, but you know the guy I like most on that staff is probably Griffin Canning. Really a high upside arm, 14% swing and strike rate. I said that Heaney got there last year and that was you know in the second half and the best mark of his career. Canning was a first-year pitcher. Uh, high pedigree, good stuff. I think there's a chance he takes another step forward and we're looking at him as the best pitcher on the staff by the end of the year. Yeah, Canning's definitely got the the K nine ratio, the one the one to one ratio and above, and you know cutting down on his walks. He, he's definitely on his way ascending on this pitching staff. You actually like a future on these guys, right? I kind of stopped at the AOS with the Oakland days, but you like the Angels just as well, right? I didn't bet it yet. I just think there's certainly solid value in the number. I have the projection for them closer to plus 400. Probably a combination of me being down on the Astros and down on the Rangers. People are giving the Rangers more credit than I think they deserve. We'll get to that mm-hmm. in a minute. But I think the fact that the Rangers are attracting some attention is taking away uh, people betting on the Angels when they should have more value on them. So again, we, we mentioned teams who are good defensively overachieving. This looks like a potentially spectacular defensive infield. Not really sure what they're going to be in the outfield. That Jock Peterson trade didn't go through, so he won't be part of that outfield mix. But right. if they bring up Joe Adele, who's their top prospect, and one of the best prospects in baseball, they could have a not only an electric outfield with him and Trout, but also a very good defensive outfield. So uh, this could be one of the best defensive teams in baseball. 
Yeah, I agree there. So Sean has this, uh, he has their value a little bit over plus 400 for them to win the division. So plus 800 would offer plenty of value. So be on the lookout for that number because, you know, some of these numbers are just so overinflated. Some of these win totals are overinflated and some of these division values are overinflated just because everybody likes to bet an over and everybody likes to bet the favorites this time of year. A thankless job. Long fly ball, left field, Braun giving chase at the wall, leaps and makes the catch. We mentioned the Texas Rangers. Let's get into them. They're playing in a new park. Uh, I know that even when they announced the new park and they announced the dimensions, I was already looking to see exactly how much foul territory we had uh, to see if we were going to complement any of these pitchers that we have. Uh, you know, as far as their numbers, their 2019 win total by Vegas was set at 71. They finished 2019 with 78 wins. Pythag says they should have come in a little bit lower at 75 wins. Uh, Westgate has them at 79.5. Where's your win total for the Texas Rangers? I'm at 75. Davenport is at 74. I think this is a combination of people seeing the Corey Kluber trade and expecting that along with their other rotation additions, Kyle Gibson, Jordan Lyles, to have them take a step up potentially in wildcard contention this year. I see a team that overachieved that has one of the worst position player groups in baseball, a horrendous defensive team, and a couple of pitchers who likely overachieved and are due to rest this season, in addition to a terrible bullpen. Commenting on the the field dimensions real quick, also need to note that that stadium is going to have a roof on it, and Mm -hmm. stadiums with roofs are significantly lower scoring than outdoor stadiums. And during the summer, the Astros almost never have the roof open. They they pretty much close it from May on. So if, if we're playing all indoor games in Arlington, once it gets hot out, we're going to see a very reduced run scoring environment there and possibly really benefiting the pitchers, but also hurting their, their fantasy value, of their hitters. Uh, it's funny. You mentioned that it's, it's kind of nice that they have a roof as somebody that's been to almost every single MLB park. I think the left field of the ballpark in Arlington was possibly the hottest place on earth. Like if you get sent to hell at the end of your life, it would be the left field bleachers of, of the ballpark in Arlington. Cause the sun comes down, even though it's 105 in, in the Dallas Fort Worth area, it's actually feels like about 125 in those bleachers. So it's kind of nice. They have a roof. Maybe I can take the family there for once. The outfield dimensions have changed a little bit. Uh, they're trying to honor the former Rangers numbers that have retired uh for instance down the the left field line it's a uh, 329 that 29 is for adrian beltre uh johnny oates is down the right field line uh, it's 326 to honor his number 26 the biggest change in the field dimensions between globe life park and the new globe life field is the left field power alley it once was 390 now it's 372 it looks like there's a little bit more foul territory behind third base uh into into the seats there so that is an advantage for the pitchers Corey kluber uh you know let's talk about him a little bit i i don't think that this is a healthy version of Corey kluber and i think that's a big reason why maybe we're kind of on the down with the rangers correct Yeah, I think you just have to look at how the Indians approached it. They traded him so aggressively and so quickly after the season ended. They got a return that pretty much any fan of a rival team was shocked that their team wasn't in on the Corey Kluber market based upon, you know, the fact that they traded him for Delano DeShields Jr. and Emmanuel Place, who's a reliever, potentially a high leverage reliever. But at the same time, it, it seemed like an underwhelming package for Kluber. Um, he's making, I believe, $17.5 million this year, projects for about two wins. And 
even before he broke his forearm last year, there were some concerning signs, slightly reduced velocity. FIP was a little bit increased. You know, he wasn't striking out guys at the same level. There wasn't anything significantly different from his 2018, which was very successful. But I think you have to look at the way that the Indians got him off their roster as quickly as they could. I, I think that's as big of an indicator as anything. Very little chance that we're seeing Cy Young Klubot popping up right back away in Texas. Lance Lynn is still their best pitcher to me. From a gambling standpoint, I was fading Mike Miner as much as I possibly could after May because the XFIP was just so far off from the ERA. He was just, it was like a luck box outing every time that he got out. What's the outlook for Miner? And you mentioned Lynn. What's his outlook for, for this season? Yeah, so Lynn was was a product of positive adjustments, a guy, you know, taking his best stuff and throwing it more often while also seeing a velocity uptick after injury. So I think Lynn is pretty rock solid. I think this is the new normal for him going forward. I think he's, you know, an all-star caliber pitcher. Miner's a different story. Miner is a guy who, as the season progressed, became very apparent by the metrics that he was outperforming. This is a, a converted reliever who's had multiple arm injuries, reaching his late 30s with, I believe, one year left on his deal. And indicators out there that suggest he's, you know, closer to a number four pitcher than a number two pitcher. So I think that's how you have to treat him going forward. Don't bet on this guy like he's a top of the rotation arm, bet on him like he's more of a replacement level arm. One player that has turned around their career, or I should say maybe kicked off their career is Danny Santana. What do we expect from him this year? Santana's interesting. So that guy won me a fantasy league back in 2014. And then he was off the radar for five years, put up negative two war and returned last year with Texas and put up a 2020 season. And if you look at projections for this season, he's pretty much projected to go 2020 again with like a 265 average. So if you're looking at a guy, people might doubt what he did last year. I think it's sustainable. Uh, he's, he's a poor defender. He doesn't really offer nearly as much real world value as he does in terms of fantasy. But I think if what he did was very repeatable and he's got a unique skill set and, uh, you know, the power alleys might play to his advantage. Yeah. I think the power alley is a good point with Danny Santana. So if you look at his spray chart as a switch hitter, he just, he crushes lefties for line drives and home runs to left center. Remember what I said about globe life field that they've shortened the porch from 390 to 372 on the fences. That could be a big benefit for him to sustain what he does from a power perspective. Uh, so I definitely like Danny Santana and what numbers he can put up this season. It's funny. You mentioned his defense, like this team is just, I don't think they look at defense at all whatsoever when they're going out and getting players, the Willie Calhouns of the world. Uh, I mean, is there anything that we should be looking at here? Uh, you know, as far as, uh, from a fantasy perspective or from maybe any individual players uh, as far as some of the certain stats that they could put up? You know, you mentioned Willie Calhoun. He's one of my favorite prospects as well. I guess he's not a prospect anymore at this point because he's been out for a few years, but he is a rare combination of power and contact. Um, mm -hmm. he, he whiffed 7% of his time last year, which is unfathomable almost for any major league hitter, let alone a guy who could hit 30 or more home runs. So He's a pretty rock solid four and some good upside. He was the main return for you Darvish a few years ago from Texas. So they've been biding their time with him and working on his attitude. But I think he has a real chance to have a huge season, really surprising people. But like you said, this Texas defense is, is an absolute mess. Put up negative 52 defensive runs saved last year. It was one of the worst totals in baseball. They only rank ahead of the Orioles and Marlins in terms of position player wins above replacement. Potentially a wild card contending team. They, they have guys like Todd Frazier in that lineup and, veterans who aren't necessarily impressive who stand to lose playing time. So we're definitely bearish on the Texas Rangers. Uh, we know that there's an 80 and a half out there. We're currently being offered at Will Hill. Definitely uh, would suggest probably a Texas Rangers under there. He hits one high toward left field. 
Back near the wall is Sam. A, a catch by Griffey. Uh, we're going to move on to a team that <laughs> number is low. I think it should be lower. Uh, I'm not sure the direction of this team. I'm not sure how many years it's going to take to get them back on track. I'm talking about the Seattle Mariners. So their 2019 win total was projected at 71.5 by Vegas. They ended up with 68 wins. Their Pythag says that they should have won 69. They started off the season 13-2. and two. If everybody remembers, the Mariners were hot. Everybody was rushing to bet the this this blazing Seattle Mariners team finished the season 55 and 92 after that start after April 11th. So what what do we see in the Seattle Mariners this year with a Westgate win total of 67 and a half? Yeah, I think I had their over 71 and a half last year. So I, I felt pretty good when we were at 13 and two and then uh, watched that disintegrate within the course of a month. <laughs> so I'm at 67 wins on the Mariners this year. So pretty much in line with the market. Davenport's at 68. They're in full rebuilding mode. You know, there's not a part on this roster that they can trade that they won't be willing to, especially with Jerry DePoto at the helm. Jerry is one of the most active traders amongst all GMs, usually has seven to 10 trades a year in them. So the one guy who probably will get traded this year is Kyle Seeger. Kyle was extremely effective down the stretch. Mm -hmm. Uh, He hit 280 with 17 homers, 941 OPS after July 22nd. He had broken his hand earlier in the year. So he really bounced back after that hand injury. But this is, you know, this is a team that's completely reloaded itself through those trades that DePoto has been making in the past couple of years. The James Paxton trade to the Yankees, the Robinson Cano trade to the Mets. They've totally loaded up this farm system. I believe they have six top 100 prospects now. They locked up Evan White. He's going to be a first baseman for them before he's even hit the big leagues. There's upside and, and intrigue in this Mariners team, but probably not until 2021. I think this year is going to be another disaster. Yeah. And, and you know what? The thing is, the Seattle fans up there, one of my closest friends, I, we my, he lives up there in Seattle and we go to the games and we have one of those terrible Seattle dogs. I don't understand putting cream cheese in a hot dog. And I don't understand eating grasshoppers in left field at that cantina bar either. But I have to say that it does seem like they are years away from contending or doing anything. Keith Law had them last year ranked 22nd farm system a year ago. Uh, we'll see what those rankings are when they come out. But I don't think they're going to be much higher, but they are definitely planning for the future. Kyle Seeger, get, to get back to Kyle Seeger, he is certainly going to be traded, especially if he can put up any kind of numbers whatsoever. They have plenty of youngsters, but I think why I like the under on this team, even though our projections are right there with where the Vegas number is, the reason why I like this is because it's not just a bunch of young players. It's a bunch of young coaches also. So what they've done is, is they fired their their pitching coach, Paul Davis, after one season. They had a 499 ERA. I think they gave up the fourth most amount of homers, which is impressive for the park that they play in. Um, and, and the thing is, is they didn't go out and find another pitching coach. They elected to promote a bunch of assistant coaches from the farm league. So from Tacoma or from double a Arkansas, everybody kind of just got a bump up the ranks. So not only are the, the pitchers young, but the coaching staff has got some familiarity with the players and it's just a new job for everybody. And that kind of makes me want to fade these guys. I just, there's no way in the world they're going to be buyers at the break. Uh, there's, I mean, they're going to be the one team, at least the Rangers may be sellers also, but in this division, there's just no chance for them whatsoever. They're definitely going to be sellers if they can get anything out of any of the starters that are currently in there. We, we could talk about some of their, uh, you know, their good attributes, but there's a lot of weaknesses here, right? The pitching, the defense and Mitch Hanniger. What's going on with Mitch Hanniger? Yeah, he doesn't have a timetable. Uh, so he, he had a core muscle injury. He's their best player. I mean, there's no way that they're going to rush him, especially if they're going to lose another 90 to 100 games. So I would pretty much write off Hanniger until the middle of the season, if not later. I wouldn't anticipate on getting much production out of him this year. 
So that they, you know, that just leaves more opportunity for their youngsters to potentially develop in the big leagues. But like you said, uh, you know, their pitching is a huge weakness. And honestly, you know, you would like to see if you're a Mariners fan, you would like to see that your organization has plan and direction. They just extended Marco Gonzalez and he had a five eleven fit X fit last year, you know, three ninety nine ERA or whatever. But he's one of those like throwback pitchers that you enjoy watching because he just throws strikes and like is crafty and like finds ways to get dudes out in an era where everybody strikes people out. But at the same time, every single performance metric is telling you that this guy is not worthy of being on a major league team and you extend him. So what does that tell you in terms of, you know, their plan going forward, how they evaluate players? It it just seems to all be backwards. Uh, They're also horrendous defensively. Only team who was better defensively than the Orioles last year, who were negative 95 runs saved. The Mariners were negative 88, which is a huge reason that they were so poor. They've kind of shuffled around their outfield mix. They got Domingo Santana out of there, even though I've heard that they might resign him. But Malik Smith being in the outfield certainly helped clean up some things. I think their offense will take a step back without Santana in there and without some of the power guys that they had in there last year. You're, you're replacing more veteran hitters with younger hitters who are developing. Uh, you might get a little better defensively, but this rotation is a horror show. You know, for the Mariners, I'm going to go in the under. It's not a strong play, but it's just something that has to do with the youth of the team, the direction of the team, who they're signing. Their interleague play is with the NL East. They're hosting the Braves and Phillies. They have to go visit the Marlins and Mets. So that accounts for, you know, for 12 games there is not going to be so easy. Uh, When rosters expand on September 1st, they have they start off with a 10 game road trip. So that's something for the expanded roster to have to deal with there. How awful was their bullpen last year? I mean, it's (laughs) I can't remember a team blowing more saves and more season. I don't know if that was actually the case, but in terms of games that I had bets on, I, I can't imagine a team had ever blown more saves in crucial situations or close games than that Mariners roster. I don't know what the mojo that they had a couple of years ago with that bullpen is completely gone. It's just a bullpen that can't hold a lead and a defense that can't help them out. So small investment on, on the Mariners under. So that'll wrap it up for the AL West. Uh, both Sean and I like the Oakland A's uh, uh, to possibly take the division. Sean likes the Angels, too. The number is just completely inflated on them. You start pacing yourself. That's high. He just may have missed it. I don't know. Bo Jackson back. Leaps. And he makes the catch. That's going to take us to the AL Central. You know, home of the teams that I probably watch the most, seeing as I live in flyover states. I always think it's funny that MLB Network blacks out like almost every single team that's within 500 miles of my actual home. We're going to start off with the Minnesota Twins. 2019 win total set by Vegas was at 84. Uh, They finished with 101 wins. Pathag says that they should have won 97. 101 wins last year, Sean. What is your projection for them as the Westgate has them at 91 and a half right now? Yeah, so I'm at 89. Davenport also at 89. I was at 84 earlier in the offseason, pre-Donaldson signing, pre-Maeda trade. So I think Minnesota's really made some strides to put themselves right back where they were last year, ahead of where they were at the beginning of last season. I believe that was projected closer to, you know, 82-ish around this time last year. So, you know, this team is ferocious offensively. They broke the major league home run record last year with 308 home runs. Third in position player war projected this year. They brought back most of their key pitchers, Odorizzi, Pineda. Pineda was the worst victim of bad defensive luck last year. So he's certainly something to keep an eye on this year. He pitched very well. He was just harmed by ill-timed fielded balls or balls in play getting through. I'm really interested amongst this group of power hitters that they have with Donaldson and Sano and Rosario and Kepler. They have Luis Arias, who 
led the major leagues technically in batting average last year. He hit, I believe, 335, didn't qualify for the batting title. But he struck out 29 times and walked 36 times, which you do not see. You don't see guys anymore walking more than they strike out. I mean, that's a that's a throwback number. And to do it with such a high average, he was doing it with infield hits and such. And he's not, you know, projected as a 300 hitter going forward. He was the number 17 prospect in Minnesota's system. When you can have a guy who can move the chain along like that amongst a group of power hitters, I think that that's a differentiator. Uh, you know, having a DJ LeMahieu amongst the Yankees lineup who can put the bat on the ball and, and drive runners in like, Everybody's so one-dimensional now in 2020. I think having those guys who could extend the lineup and, and pass the baton and keep the rally going are important. So Arise's development is something I'm going to be really keeping a close eye on this year. Yeah, I agree. The, the offense on this team is is one of the best in the league by far. Last year, the Twins finished first in ISO. They were second in WRC+. Plus. And that was against lefties in 2019. Then they add in Josh Donaldson. And if there's one, I think you and I were having a conversation pre-pod about, you know, who's going to hit the most home runs on this team. And I, I, I love Mitch Garver. I mean, I, he moved from, from a defensive standpoint, Mitch Garver catching, he moved from 54th in 2018 to 33rd in 2019 in framing or what we call turning non-swinging strikes into called strikes on the shadow zone. So, you know, if you can frame a pitch and, and, and get your pitcher some more strikeouts and more strikes, that's going to be beneficial to the entire team and Mitch Garver a 33rd isn't the best in the world but a bump up almost 20, over 20 spots uh, says that you know there could be even more improvement for Garver as a framer uh, and he hits a ton of home runs so he, he's big for them but there are a number of players on this team that can jack the ball Sean who's going to win the home run title off this team so I have bets on Snell at 101 and uh, Nelly at 80 to one I think those are both really viable bets I'm concerned now about Sano maybe getting playing time taken away or being too low in the lineup. It looks like they have him slotted eighth. Uh, he he hit like all of his home runs in four months last year. So if you prorate that out over a full season, you're talking about a 50 home run, 55 home run guy. Uh, if, if I have to pick one, I'll say Sano just because of the upside, but I can't disagree with your pick. Yeah, I'm going to go with Nelson Cruz on you. I mean, he's just so consistent every year. People just knock on him for being, you know, for his age. But I think that that kind of plays into the number that you can get on him winning the home run title, not just for this team. But I think in general, in Major League Baseball, I think Nelson Cruz is worth a home run home run title here. I feel the AL Central is similar to what we saw with the NL Central last year, where all the teams collectively were much better. Now, I'm not going to sit here and rant and rave about the Royals and the Tigers, but there are three teams in this division that should finish over 500. How does the Minnesota Twins pitching staff stack up against that? I guess I would put them two out of three. Uh, I would probably put the Indians and then the, the Twins and then the White Sox in order if you're just ranking by pitching staffs. Barrios is a guy that everybody loves and he's fun to watch and I'm a big fan of his as well, but he doesn't rate as well by performance metrics as you would expect him to for the a guy who's featured as the top of the rotation guy. He's probably closer to a number two or number three starter than he is an ace. Then behind him, Maeda, I think was a huge addition for them. Maeda is pretty rock solid, gives you 150 innings of, you know, like a three, five year every year, somewhere around there. So Maeda was a big pickup, and I think that that certainly bumped their projection up a little bit. Odorizzi improved his fastball last year. I think like Lynn, he's a guy who optimized himself, improved his fastball. So he's he's kind of at a new level. But then beyond that, it's really where the question marks come in. So it feels like a lot of these teams in the AL or a lot of teams in baseball have three very effective starters. And then there's a huge drop off and they kind of have to figure it out from there. You know, if they sustain an injury to somebody like Barrios, Maeda is not going to give them 200 innings. You know, they're going to have to manufacture innings there. 
it's a little shaky and it's a little bit overrated, I'd say, probably compared to what you think they are. But this lineup's going to carry the day and uh, they should certainly be in contention for the division, if not make a wild card at minimum. It's nice seeing Rich Hill on the roster for those of you who play fantasy and play in quality starts leagues. That guy is the king of going five and two thirds and, and not quite getting the quality start that you need out of him. He's one of the most frustrating players to ever own in fantasy history. You know, Vegas Westgate has him at 91 and a half and Sean's got him projected at 89. There's just, there's a little bit too much love for the twins in the market here as you can get them to win the division, win the AL Central at minus 165. But the fair odds that Sean sets is, is plus 133. So definitely there's just too much love on Minnesota, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I, I took a under bet on them at 90 when they were uh, in the, again, in the pre Donaldson point of their off season, I should have, just realized they were already all in, you know, that's, that's really something you have to read with these teams. Like we discussed before the, the obvious contenders and the obvious sellers, like it should be from that point, obvious, which teams to stay away from or which way you should lean based upon that info. So it's a bet that if it was still at 90, I'd be trying to buy out of, uh, I think I'll just ride it at this point, but I don't see any value uh, on either side of it. Off the green light. They do. And he hits it in the air to center field. Kenny Lofton trying to time the jump and he So talking about another team in the AL Central that should finish above 500, but their window is closing pretty fast is the Cleveland Indians. They had a 2019 win total set by Vegas at 91. They ended up with 93 wins. Pathag says that they should have won 93 games. Westgate currently has an 85 and a half lower than what they achieved last year. Sean, your projections at 85. What do we see with the Indians? Yeah, so I'm at 85. Davenport's also at 85. The Indians are one of the most consistently overachieving organizations in sports. They probably do more with less than just about any other organization in baseball, maybe save for Tampa Bay. They're a general manager factory. Keep that in mind because you consistently see general managers or executives from around the league hired from Cleveland, which means they're probably thinking at a higher level or doing things that are smarter and a little bit different than the other teams. So I feel like they're a team that constantly gets underrated. They were maligned for the Kluber trade. But then you look at their roster and you're like, yeah, why why shouldn't this team win the AL Central? They still have a very effective rotation. Clevenger is one of the top pitchers in baseball. Bieber is just as good or not better than Clevenger. Carlos Carrasco, when he stays healthy, I mean, Carlos Carrasco had leukemia last year, but the two years before that, he had stayed completely healthy. That's a big three rotation as far as I'm concerned. That's a rotation that can carry you through a playoff run. Then behind that, you have Aaron Stavale, you have Zach Fleesack, who I think are both effective. Their bullpen's really good. Uh, we, we talked about... Except for Adam Plutko, right? I think I've lost so much money on Adam Plutko. Let's keep him out of the bullpen's really good. <laughs> That's a guy to bet home run props against. He's got yes. a major home run issue. Speaking of which, he, he was, Plucko was on the uh, a UCLA rotation with Trevor Bauer and Garrett Cole. So just imagine oh. how you'd feel as Plucko now watching the success that Bauer and Cole are having the big leagues and you can barely get big league hitters out. They still have Francisco Lindor. They still have Jose Ramirez. You know, they, they have the best left side of the infield in baseball, maybe. The bottom of their lineup's a bit concerning, but other than that, they look exactly like the Cleveland Indians teams that we've seen trotted out over the past few years and I don't see any reason why they can't continue to contend for a title, especially with Francona and the consistency that they have at their front office. I think that this is a stay away from me, though. And the reason is because I don't know what they're trying to do with Francisco Lindor. His name is just being dropped all the time. And I know that they want, 
you know, they want a ship full of gold just to land in Cleveland and give them the farm from some other team. Not that anybody has really a farm to offer. I think their asking price for Lindor is really high, but still, I mean, if Mookie Betts can be moved and attached to David Price, then obviously Francisco Lindor can be moved at the break if they're down, say, five games to the Twins. You know, this is a team I just, I don't think I can get behind because I have no clue what their direction is going to be if they flinch and they're down a few games, you know, around the All-Star break. Is there a, do you think there's a good chance that Lindor is still around at the end of the year or is it, do you think it's going to completely be determined by how they finish up the season? From what I gathered based upon reports, it seemed pretty definitive that he was going to be traded. I don't, right. I don't think they have the money to sign him and they need to get a maximum return for him or maximize whatever they can at this point. So I would expect that unless they are directly in the division lead or seriously involved, you'll see him traded. If they're, if they're just kind of huddling around 500, I right. think he'll get flipped, uh, which I agree is a reason to avoid the win total. You know, even if they do trade Lindor, or especially if they trade Lindor, this team becomes more underrated than they should be. Yeah, Roberto Perez is the best framing catcher in the AL. In 2019, he converted 51.7% of non-swinging strikes into called strikes in the shadow zone. So definitely something to keep in mind. I, You know, Cleveland came out with a cold start last year. They started off slow. So I, it's just something where I'm going to stay away because I think this is an organization in general that's had their chances to win the World Series. And I just, they're stable and they can contend, but if they fall behind, I'm just not sure how much they're going to sell off. And they and they know they have to sell off Lindor. They'll get nothing for him. And Votto lifts it in the air, center field. Gomez at the wall. Gomez leaps out. Let's jump into a team that we project to finish over 500. You and I both love we have money down on them, and that'd be the Chicago White Sox. In 2019, they had a projected win total of 74. They finished with 72 wins last year, and Pythag said 69. So they didn't achieve what Vegas had set out for them, and Pythag said that they should have been even worse. Now they're projected at 84 and a half. Your projection has the White Sox at 85. What's changed for this team? Uh, you know, they haven't achieved what the win total was last year, but yet we're projecting them much higher than what they finished. Yeah, so these were your 2020 offseason champs. So I don't know when the parade is scheduled, but they'll throw it before <laughs> opening day, I'm sure. Interesting situation, right? Because I, I bet they're under last year, and I said that the only way that they would go over was if they saw significant improvement from Moncada, significant improvement from Giolito, and Eli Jimenez gave them a bunch. And they got all of that and still finished with 69 wins. They went out, they signed Yasmani Grandal, Edwin Encarnacion, traded for Nomar Mazzara, signed Dallas Keuchel, signed Gio Gonzalez, signed Steve Ciszek. They lost like Ivan Nova and Yomar Sanchez. So you're talking about a solid 15 wins above replacement that they added to this roster. In addition to the potential development of those young players that we mentioned, what I consider one of the best pitching coaches in baseball and Don Cooper, who can continue to work with this rotation I saw really encouraging signs from Ronaldo Lopez last year. He had a 4-1-8 FIP in the second half, 3-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio. This rotation is filled with guys who all throw between 97 and 99 miles an hour, if not harder, especially when they get Michael Kopak back, if they get Rodon back as well. You're, you're talking about five guys who throw 95 and above, which is, even in an era where we're in, is, is beyond impressive. Um, so they, they know exactly what they are on the pitching side. But then you flip to the offensive side, they have the chance to add Luis Robert to their lineup. He was 30-30. He was the youngest 330-30 in the minors last year since 1961. So that's that alone is telling. They signed him to a six-year, $50 million extension. They've got a few other high-level prospects that are pretty much on the cusp of the majors. Nick Madrigal, the primary of which, uh, two-time College World Series champ. He's putting up historically high 
contact rates in the minors. Picoto loves him. Uh, the, the 90th percentile projection on Picoto for Madrigal had him hitting, I believe, 315. So he, he's, he's put up a 44 to 16 walk to strikeout ratio in the minors. That's absurd. That's video game numbers. The Twins are certainly a better team, but I think the White Sox have a higher upside. The Yasmani Grandel signing, I think, is bigger than anybody can realize because he's top five almost every season and runs extra strikes. And we talk about framing. That's all about framing. And he is a big boost as far as creating strikes in the shadow zone. So I think that is a huge boost for them. It's a huge boost for this pitching staff. The problem that I have is Gio Gonzalez, Dallas Keuchel, especially Dallas Keuchel, he needs defense behind him. Do we have that with the White Sox? Yeah, so they're they're kind of swapping out one Gold Glover for another potentially with with Sanchez for Madrigal. Uh, once Madrigal comes up, the rest of the defense is a bit concerting. They were negative fifty six in DRS in twenty nineteen. They were pretty bad at catcher though, so a, a lot of that yeah. was their catching spot. And Grandel is going to fix a little bit of that. Uh, Eloy is not a good defender, so I think that leads no. into part of it too. You know, Jose Abreu is a little bit old, a little bit a little bit stiff. He likes to be a DH. He likes the Adam Eaton DH spot. And that's the problem. They seem like they have a bunch of DHs on this team, especially with Mazar as well. Mazar is not a good defender also. Uh, Anderson, I think, is closer to average. So it, it's not a good defensive team. I don't – compared to Zach Wheeler, who they were initially pursuing, Keuchel is such a such a worse signing for the fit of their team. The thing about Keuchel that most people don't get, in addition to the ground balls, he's incredible at pickoffs. He's incredible at defense. He's the pitcher who's doing all the little things that you don't notice, and that's where his value comes in. So even as you see the strikeout rate continuing to fall, like he he's doing other things that does provide value, even though he's not your traditional 2020, like big strikeout pitcher. So Keiko's interesting. I'd be more concerned about Gio Gonzalez. Gonzalez's skills have kind of fallen off the table. Uh, so the back end of their rotation, like I said, until Rodon gets back could be a little bit, a little bit shaky. The one thing I really love about this team is, is the Cuban flavor. Grandal, Abreu, Robert, like this is the Cuban national team. There's something super exciting about that. I love when teams have an identity and uh, Edwin brings so much personality to the table as well. I feel like this team is just going to have so much personality this year. And they're, even if they're not going to win the World Series or win the AAL Central, they're, uh, they're going to be fun to watch. Edwin Canarson on. I think, I think that is the fantasy player that you want to target because he's going to go really low in drafts, but he's a reliable source of home runs. And home runs are, you know, can be hard to find, especially we don't know what's going on with the ball this year. He's a guy that always drops because of his DH eligibility and because of his age in leagues. Uh, you know, in guaranteed rate field, it was top 10 in home runs three of the last four years per park factors. And I contractually can't say anything bad about Dallas Keuchel as a former Razorback. So we love this team. You know, you and I were both on this for, you know, World Series division, and we kind of feel like everybody else is caught up. We still have the feeling that this is the team that we like in AL Central, correct? Yeah, uh, there's an 82 and a half out there at MGM. I would I would bet the over on that. You know, that's the the smallest gap between a projection and an over that I would bet. But that's that's how I feel about this team. I feel very strongly about the White Sox. You know, as, as the market consensus has kind of caught up to us, I've become a little bit more nervous about the fact <laughs> right. that we have such a strong position on them. But jumping in at 7,500 uh, early was something we probably should have max bet and then prop swapped maybe. Uh, we have some yeah. plus 500 division, plus, you know, 7,500 World Series. So I have over 81 and a half on a win total. Like I said, if you can get over 82 and a half, I'd still play it. Yeah, Sean is uh, on the East Coast, and I happened to be in Vegas when all these baseball numbers started popping, and uh, and we left with an NL bet, and we definitely left with a White Sox bet. We'll talk about the NL bet on the NL pod, but yeah, the White Sox were one of the first ones we jumped on, but I missed the days where these win totals would come out around the same time where pitchers and catchers would report. Nope. 
Long way to the wall in center field here. And Dyson! Unbelievable! But we will move on to a team that has no chance of winning the AL Central. No chance of winning the AL. And no chance of adding a third World Series flag to the beautiful... Uh, Kauffman Stadium, and that is the Kansas City Royals. 2019 wins uh, were at 59. They were projected by Vegas last year at 69.5, so they massively underachieved. Pathag says that they should have got to 64, so they finished five games lower than what runs scored, runs against, dictate. Right now, Westgate's got them at 64.5. Sean, I should be betting an over on my guys. You have them projected at 66? Yeah, break up the Royals, huh? <laughs> yeah, with Mike Matheny as, as the manager? Sure, I'm running to the window right now. High win total last year, 69 and a half. I think that was a product of the rest of the division being so terrible. Minnesota was not considered to be the team that they are now. Cleveland was roughly like 86, 88 wins. So it was such a low division projection in general. You kind of had to allocate the wins somewhere. And Texas also wasn't considered to be as bad or worse than the Orioles. So landscapes change, but pretty much everybody has either gotten significantly better or worse. They had the loss of Salvi. Alex Gordon continues to be a dud. So, I mean, the 59 wins, it was, I mean, there was injury involved. It was Yosa's last year. The, the Whit Merrifield, tra- we, we all have always thought Whit's going to be traded no matter if he has a new contract or not. But yeah, I mean, I can see why Pythag is 64 and they finished at 59. But you're right. I mean, men, nobody knew Minnesota was going to be as good as they were. Like the Royals have an identity. They, they have a top four in their lineup that can rake. And they're a competent group. Modesty, Hunter Dozier, like those, those seem like guys you could build around with Solaire. Solaire hit 48 home runs last year, if you didn't realize. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that people have been waiting on for a few years, him to finally bust out. The power metrics were there that supported it in terms of average exit velocity, and it, it finally happened. Dozier was a first round pick. He had 65 extra base hits last year. He was 25% above average as a league, you know, in terms of hitting. So, they have a few guys who can rake. If you're a DFS player, those those Solaire, Dozier, Mondesi stacks, there's going to be days where those guys completely go off with one another. Yep. It's just the fact that is Mike Montgomery their number one starter? I mean, is is that a real thing? When Solaire was acquired from the Cubs, there was a huge hole in his swing, and they worked tirelessly to try to fill the gap in it, you know, and and I think they finally did that. You know, Mondesi, whether it's Raul or Alberto, is he keeps maturing. I mean, I've seen him since he was a double A in Arkansas, that he is becoming a multi-tool player that is, you know, he's he's really special to this organization. But offensively, you're right. They have <laughs> their identity there about what they're going to do. And, you know, we'll talk more about Dozier and what we think he can do from a home run standpoint. But pitching wise, I mean, we made notes about this pre-pod. I'm not sure Brad Keller is it. I, I mean, I really have have my doubts about Brad Keller. Junis is a different story, but Keller's the one I'm really nervous about. He's always like intrigued me because of the velocity and the body type. And he he seems like he should be better than he is. He just can't get the whiffs. He he did have a good second half last year. Like I was, of course, betting him in the first half of last year when he was terrible and then jumped off and he was great in the second half. So I'm still in wait and see mode with Keller. Junis, is it just extended spring training for these guys? Like, are they working on stuff like in real games because they know that they suck? I don't know. I mean, it's possible, right? Like, do guys on bad teams do that? Do they just like, I'm going to work on this pitch today because we're not going anywhere? It's wholly possible. It is. It is totally possible that spring training has extended itself into Kansas City. And and frankly, I, I make jokes all the time that, you know, it, it, some of these players can't tell if they're in Omaha or Kansas City because there's so much mixing between the AAA roster in Omaha and, and the Royals. But, uh, you know, one new player that they have offensively is Mikel Franco. And I think the funny thing is about pitchers and catchers reporting. Well, I'm waiting to see how Franco shows up. I'm waiting to see how much he's eaten in the offseason. Uh, he could be a big reason why they go over this win total, but he can also be a big reason why they don't. 
Yeah, he's, you know, he could be a best shape of your life guy. He's always in Philadelphia. Seemed like he was, uh, when he first came up, he was the first wave of the Phillies rebuild. The first guy amongst that group of prospects to come up and always seemed like people had high hopes for him. And I, I never really saw it. Uh, he's certainly a giant guy, has the body type to, you know, generate a lot of power. But I, I wouldn't hold your breath waiting for Michael Franco to turn the 2020 Royals around. <laughs> yeah, I'm not holding my breath on that. There's a lot of guys in the in the, in the the pipe uh, that I get to watch come through AA Arkansas and some guys that I know that are at Wilmington at high A ball that, that I keep my eyes on. And, you know, Brady Singer pitched at Florida. Uh, Kowar is one of those pitchers we look at. Khalil Lee is going to be their leadoff guy for the future. Uh, those guys are all in the pipe. And that's the reason why I might not want to touch a Royals number until next year. I really think that they're more of a 2021 team before they start seeing an uptick in their wins. But from a betting perspective for this podcast, what number would you need to bet on Hunter Dozier to win the home run prop? Because I know that he was out there around 200 to one, 250 to one out there. And I know that I went and threw some lunch money on it because, you know, Dozier was just creaming the ball every time he got a hold of it. There was a slump. There was a little bit of an injury. There was some streakiness involved, but the swing is there. Uh, if we have full health and enough plate appearances, it, you know, I, I thought it was worth at least some money. What number would you need for Hunter Dozier? And what do you think about him as a home run hitter? I think 201 is fair. I believe he had 10 triples last year. Yeah. Anytime I see a batting line for a season on a guy who's got 30 doubles, 10 triples, and 25 homers, it, there's going to be potential power development there in the future. Look at Curtis Granderson and his career trajectory. Those guys later in their careers, they continue to develop, add a little bit of loft to their swing. They can pop 35, 40 homers in a season, no doubt, just because you're you're turning that extra little bit of triple luck into home run luck. You know, you get those just enough homers and you could really have a, a huge season. So I, I don't know if Dozier has the full ceiling to get to like that 55 home run range where you need to lead the league. It's interesting that you bring this up because I'm thinking about Nick Castellanos and he, he was uh, <laughs> his, his expected home runs last year were about 40. You know, and he's always been a guy who hits a ton of extra base hits and Dozier kind of reminds me of him, you know, third baseman, not the best defender, maybe getting moved to a corner outfield spot. So these guys seem like professional hitters and they, they hit a ton of extra base hits and they're going to have a year where they pop 40. Just, uh, I don't, I don't know if Dozier has quite enough juice to get all the way up to 50. You know, Dozier is going to get moved to the outfield. I think that we need to mention from a fantasy perspective, he's going to have eligibility probably at first base, third base, outfield. He's being picked around the 190s, 200s in fantasy it's drafts. Insane. It's ridiculous. I mean, the, the source of power you're going to get and the multi-eligibility in the positions. Uh, look for Hunter Dozier in your drafts. I was going to keep him in a league, but he's so cheap in a draft, there's no point. I think he's a stud and he's going to be on every one of my teams if I can. The last thing I'll say about the Royals, uh, whether or not I take a total, I'm not sure. I'm sure I'll tweet it out, but look for leagues that offer Ian Kennedy as a starting pitcher because you can slot him in a starting pitcher spot and you can earn saves off of him. So uh, he may blow up your ERA and your whip, but you're going to get that needed save for that category. And I don't mind Kennedy compared to some of these other closers, even on a bad team. He said, burn me on a couple bets, though. A couple bets. When you lose money on, you know, like a ninth inning blow up, it sticks with you. You seem to remember those more than you do the times that you win or maybe the That's just betting on the Royals in general. That is betting on. Oh, man, it's it's rough. I got to stick to the first fives with these guys. So let's go ahead and move on. Uh, We're going to go to the the bottom of the AL Central, the floor, and that is the Detroit Tigers. Their 2019 win total projected at 68 and a half. They finished with 47 wins, and Pathag said that they should have had 49 wins. Westgate has them at 57. Sean, you've got them projected at 58. 
tell me why they finished with 47 wins and a Pythagorean 49, and they're going to win 10 more games this year. So unlike last year, they're actually putting veterans on this team, even if it's temporary, <laughs> even if they're just one-year deals to get them in and out before the trade deadline. CJ Crone, Jonathan Scope, Austin Romine, Ivan Nova. Like they, they actually added some dudes on this team. I mean, they had Josh Harrison, Edwin Jackson last year. They, I guess they had some dudes last year as well, but purely just the regression. And there is no way that a, a major league team could be this bad two years in a row. Uh, you, you have to be historically bad to win fewer than 50 games in major league baseball. Any projection system, generally, you're going to see them range between 55 to like 100 wins. Usually they don't even go over 100 wins. So to see a projection for myself come in is, you know, at 50, 58. I mean, the lowest I've generally seen is like 60. I think last year with the Orioles, I might have got down to 55. But 58 to me is like as low as I can go on a projection and still feel like I'm within range of something that's reasonable. So that's really just where the number comes from. You know, there's there's nothing that indicates that this team is going to do anything to get better this year. Casey Mize, Matt Manning, or the future of their rotation, they're not going to come up until September at best, if not 2021. In terms of like talent on this roster that I think is part of their next competitive team, it's Matt Boyd and that's it. It's it's literally Matt Boyd and 25 guys who I want nothing to do with. Probably going to get traded in season, but you know it's it's really the only guy in this team that I see is a viable major league player. And then that's sad because Matt Boyd reminds me a lot of Mitch Hanniger out with the Seattle Mariners. Like, can they keep these guys from aging so that the rest of the kids on the farm can get up to the big leagues and they can actually make some noise? But, you know, I, that's the reason. I know there's three years of control left, uh, but, you know, we'll see, you know, if he's still around because I know the number is extremely low. But we're expecting and they've added veterans and I get it. And CJ Cron and, and, you know, he's been in a platoon out with the Angels and, you know, only getting to hit against certain pitching. But I mean, I just don't think this team has added enough to get to the to, to get this many wins. And their defense is pretty atrocious. We've mentioned some pretty bad defenses on this AL pod, but Detroit's really bad. I mean, Christian Stewart had 23 home runs across all levels last year. But, you know, his defense is essentially a, a lawn chair, right? I mean, Candelaro showed some power. And maybe Miggy will be healthy for a while. But, I mean, this is a team I just I, I want to take an under on because I just cannot see them uh, improving. And I don't see them doing anything to improve themselves. Uh, and they've admitted openly that we are on a four-year plan. This is year two of a year four of a four-year plan. Yeah, they're also not the most analytically inclined team. They've admitted to that. Alavila has admitted to that, the GM. So, you know, they have, they have an old school manager in Ron Gardenhire who seems like most days he's just trying to get kicked out of the game as quickly as possible so he can go home. So he can watch the Twins game, right? Yeah, of course. He's, he's got to, you know, get back together with that ex-girlfriend for a second. Right. And check her out, see what she's doing. So you mentioned Miggy. Miggy was 4% below average last year, 8% below average two years ago. And they owe him $31 million a year through 2025 on a team that doesn't like to spend on anything. So I don't know what you do with that, but that's like pretty much the Marlins payroll. So that that in and of itself is going to not only limit their contention window and their spending, but I mean, that extends it. You said a five-year plan that that brings us to 2022. That's extended all the way to 2025. So they really think that Miggy's going to be like able to walk by then. That, That seems improbable. They're bringing up two potential aces next year. Maybe Boyd's around for that. Maybe not. I think their best path is trading him and just flipping this thing completely. But I, I can't stop you from taking an under, even though my projection says it's it's about right. It's just amazing to think that there was a time in this world where Miggy Cabrera played third base for the Marlins and Michael Fulmer was on the trading block for Alex Bregman. I mean, the, the Tigers are 
sunk with a capital S. So we're going to move on. Uh, I'm I'm going to probably get an underplay on these guys. Not a huge investment. I do like Kron from a fantasy perspective, just, you know, getting as much playing time as possible for his stick. It reminds me of a Lucas Duda situation with the Royals where he's going to play full time and that equals 30 home runs for a guy that's got a swing like that. Give the guy 550 at bats, don't trade him, and you'll probably get 35 home runs out of it. One pitch on the way, swung on, and a high fly ball hits a deep right field again, and Ichiro goes back to the track, to the wall, and makes a leap, and makes the catch! Let's get to the meat of this podcast, which is the AL East. I mean, there's so much topic, there's so much to talk about with the AL East, especially with the top two teams. Uh, we'll get to the Red Sox in a minute and what the hell's going on there, but first, we got to talk about how everybody loves them, some New York Yankees. Let's review what they did last year. They had a Vegas projected win total of 96 and a half. They finished with 103 wins going over their total. Pythag says that they should have won 99. And now they are set at 101.5. Sean, you have these guys projected at 100. So there's no value here in the 101.5. But I think everybody in the world probably has some sort of futures on the New York Yankees right now, right? Of course, how couldn't you? They're the, they're yeah. the best team in the history of Major League Baseball. They're going to win 130 games and they're going to, you know, win all 12 playoff games and and win running away. No, I mean, it's a historical thing. Uh, John Ewing, one of our Action Network colleagues, hold this since 1990. There's been five teams that have a win total of 100 plus and they're 0-5 against the number. This is the first team since the 2016 Cubs to have a win projection on Davenport over 100. Only other is the 2012 Texas Raiders. So it shows you, you know, we were just talking about projections and the, the ranges of projections and how difficult it is to, to get a team that's so good that they push your projection number over 100. This Yankees team is that good. The Dodgers team is that good. I, I have them within 0.1 wins of each other. I think one's 100.4, one's 100.3. So this Yankees team sustained, I believe, 30, more than 30 injuries last year. They, they broke a record by putting over 30 guys in the injured list, and they still won 103 games. Uh, you know, their, their Pythag was 99. My projection this year is 100, Davenport's 101. So everything is pretty much right around one another if you equate to last year. And why is that? It's because Mike Talkman had 2.6 wins above replacement. Shio Urschel had 3.1 wins above replacement. Brett Gardner had a three and a half win season. Luke Voigt had two wins. DJ LeMay, who had a five win MVP season. There's baked in regression for these guys to all come back down to their level. They added Garrett Cole. They're going to get other guys back from injury. But at the same time, you, you have to factor in the regression that these other guys had in their career years, all having their career years at the same time, that they're all going to come back down to a, a normal level. So you might be getting Stanton back for a full year. You might be getting full year of Garrett Cole. You might win the exact same number of games. Yeah, and I, I just cannot believe how many injuries these guys had last year. So, I mean, there is, you know, that going for them. But at the same time, if there's a weakness that I want to point out with these guys, it's their brand new pitching coach. They had Larry Rothschild after nine years, big part of their pitching staff, a uh, big part of their success from the, from the pitching standpoint. Now they have 34 year old Matt Blake, who was the Indians pitching coordinator. Matt Blake has not been in a dugout. Matt Blake has not made a walkout to a mound. Matt Blake, not a hands-on coach. I, th I believe I read a story where some of the Yankees pitchers are already uh, chirping about how the fact that they're they're uh, working on their mechanics and talking about their mechanics. And Matt Blake had like a Skype session with them. Like he, he's not hands on like at all. He's one of the analytics guys. He's a uh, he's considered an analytics guru and, uh, you know, smart. And uh, it just reminds me in college football so much of Joe Brady at LSU. Like he doesn't actually coach the players, but he could draw something on a marker board that's absolutely going to get you the win. He's never made a mound visit. And I think that really plays heavily into this team. Like, 
like if the pitching mechanics get out of whack and at some point this season, they will, they'll go into a funk. Every team does, you know, I'm not sure that's something that he can fix. So, you know, Paxton's already on the DL. So if there's one area of weakness here, it's the fact that the, you know, they have a different pitching coach and they're going full analytics from that standpoint. You know, baseball, it feels like the coaching in baseball is so much more of a personal touch than it is with other sports. They're in so much closer proximity and it's so much more of like a, a relationship than it is where, where other sports seem like it's more of a dictatorship. This seems like it's more of a, a family, you know, baseball team. So that, you know, that, that's certainly something to be said for that. Paxton being injured immediately, you know, that, that takes a big hit out. But when you add in the fact that, you know, their, their rotation, potential playoff rotation is going to be Cole, Severino, maybe Paxton. And then you have to choose between Jay Happ and Masahiro Tanaka. That's pretty nasty. Uh, it's, that's a lot better than what they were trolling out last year, especially because, you know, we, we're leaving out uh, Domingo Herman as well, I believe, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, the fact that Herman was suspended, you know, you, you have uh, a full rotation of number two, number three starters at worst, you know, at the, at the bottom of that rotation when we're talking about other teams. They can bar- barely fill out their five minute rotation. So, Yankees starting pitching depth compared to last year, so much better. Uh, their bullpen probably just as good. It's just a matter of, you know, to stand and stay healthy. How much do guys like Talkman and, and Urshela regress? Otherwise, they're, they're going to win 100 games, and they should be the World Series favorite. I just think they're, uh, you know, ever so slightly overvalued at this point. Yeah, I absolutely agree. But when you have a win total of 101.5, you need everything to be perfect. And that pitching aspect with the pitching coach kind of bothers me because I'm a guy that coaches my 13-year-old's team. And I've got five 13-year-olds on a mound. And it's not even so much I'm teaching you how to set your feet and handle the rubber and check a runner at first and how you have to tuck your glove into your armpit and your mechanic. It's in between the ears, too. Pitching is in between the ears, especially with a lot of these guys. I should know as a guy that follows Royals baseball and Grinky just decided to take a year off, right? I mean, pitching is just as much between the ears as it is your mechanics. So that's something that kind of stuck out to me. I want everything to be perfect if I'm going to take an over 101 and a half. So that's why I'm going to lay off here. High deep drive in the left field. Down into the corner again. And attending near the wall. Leaps. He's hung up. Did he catch it? And it's hard for me to take it under when a team like Boston and Baltimore are in the division. And I'm not sure if Boston's trying to tank here. Like, I, are we just getting rid of bets because we weren't going to get anything in the first place? I mean, the player that they got in return, Verdugo, there was some mention about how he's probably not a clubhouse guy and not the friendliest guy in the world to, to have on your team. But I'm going to highlight them. Last year, Vegas had them projected win total at 94 and a half. They won 84 games. Uh, Pathag says that they should have won 87. This still comes up short of what the Vegas number was at 94 and a half. Here we are this season, Boston Red Sox, Westgate, 86 and a half. That is current up to date as we record this podcast. No matter what trades are happening or going down, they're at 86 and a half. Sean, you've got them under 86 and a half by a heck of a margin at 81. Yeah, so they opened at 93 and a half. I, I bet under 93 and a half, pretty much to the limit. I bet under 92. I points bet that. So we'll see how that goes. You know, I, I was at 85 wins when they opened. So I was way under the market initially. After the bets trade, I bumped them down to 81. Davenport pretty much made the same move. They bumped them down from 91 to 85. So about a six-win adjustment. Mine was about a four-win adjustment. You know, they're like right in line with the market. I'm lower, of course. I don't think they're done making moves. I think Jackie right. Bradley Jr. is still yet to be traded. Never minding that, my biggest concern with this team since the beginning, Chris Sale avoided elbow surgery. They went the rest and rehab route. Uh, his velocity was down early in the year. Didn't look great. Came back, you know, to a decent level and was throwing harder. Got his velocity back. So he was at like 97 and 99. 
two seasons ago. Last year, he started out around 89, 91, got it back up to around 93, 95, and then ended up getting shut down with an elbow injury. Nate Evaldi had loose bodies removed in his elbow, tossed 65 innings, 67 innings, walked a guy every other inning. So now you're giving me a team that has two of its top three starters coming off of injury. Your number four and five starters are Martin Perez and Hector Velasquez, and you have no farm system. Where is the depth? On top of that, you're probably trading your center fielder, your gold glove center fielder. You just traded the 2018 AL MVP from right field. You're replacing him with a guy like Verdugo, who's like a, th- a 300 hitter. He's a, he's a good player. He's a three-win player. But you're, you're a Chris Sale injury away from having a rotation with Eduardo Rodriguez and a bunch of number four and number five starters, if not yep. number six, number seven guys. That's not going to play in the AL East. Not only do I think there's a risk of Boston finishing 500, I think there's a strong chance that Toronto passes them and that this is one of the most miserable seasons in recent Red Sox memory. They have a new GM cutting ties with everything. They're still under investigation by the league. So you mean to tell me that this team was a new GM who came from the Rays and is looking to cut costs so that they can get on the luxury tax? What are they going to add in season to make themselves better? They're already an 85-win team by true talent. They're only going to get worse. That true talent is provided that Chris Sale is healthy. So I don't know what the upside for this team is. That's why I felt so safe points betting it and betting the unders initially. I didn't see any upside with this team. I, I thought their floor was, you know, uncalculable. And I thought their ceiling was around where I had projected it. I think it best they're an 86-win team. I agree with everything you had to say there as far as the injury concerns with with both of their pitchers. And if they get anything out of some of the lineup, the players that they can flip, I think, for other players, I think they're going to do it. Like Ben Attendi, I think, is plateaued. I think he's completely plateaued. I think they've figured out what his ceiling is. And if they can get, you know, someone to buy him, I think he'd be out the door too. And, and, you know, like I said, Verdugo was at least from what I read, not the friendliest guy to have in your dugout. So I, you know, we know how Chris Sale is once he's not happy with a situation. Also, he'll cut up his Jersey and do whatever the hell he feels. So, you know, you want to be on the under with this team. I don't think it's moved enough at 86 and a half. I definitely like the under on this team and it makes it really hard to take an under on the Yankees on such an inflated number when you know teams like Boston could be this bad. Here's the pitch. Swing and a long one to center field. Hunter to the track. He's to the wall. He leaps. He caught it. He robs him of a home run. You know, let's go ahead and talk about the Rays. Let's get there because we did mention the Blue Jays there and I, I do have a lot to say about the Blue Jays, but let's go ahead and talk about the Rays who have, you know, a legitimate team as much as they had last year. Last year they were projected 84 and a half wins. They finished with 96 Pathag says they should have won 93. They are projected at Vegas at 89 and a half. Sean, you have them at 89. So they're going to contender here. More than likely going to end up in the wild card if they can get a secure spot there. Probably not catch the Yankees. But this is a team that we like to contend uh, and make it to the playoffs, right? Yeah, this is the team I have the fewest questions or concerns about, honestly. You know, even even less so than the Yankees because I feel like a few injuries on the Yankees and and you could really knock them down a peg, but the Rays have so much depth, so much 40 man roster depth. They can sustain virtually any injury. You know, even a, even a seller allows now they have plenty of starters who can come in and fill out. This is the most rock solid year to year defensive team in baseball. They were plus 52 last year, third in the AL. They're plus 57 in 2018, first in the AL. They were plus 88 in 2017. That was first in baseball. They're third in bullpen war. Um, they deploy their bullpen probably as well or better strategically than any other team. You know, look at their AAA roster and tell me that that team wouldn't play better than the Orioles over the course of a full season. Their, their AAA roster is absolutely loaded. 
And then on top of that, they have one of the top farm systems in baseball. They have, they have seven top 100 prospects. Wander Franco, who's their top prospect, is probably already better at shortstop than Billy Damas. You know, you're unlikely to see many of those guys, maybe, maybe McKay and Brett Honeywell this year. But again, that's two more starters that you can figure into their starter depth. They, they have like nine or 10 viable starters. It's kind of crazy. So their they're outfield, they shuffled it up a little bit from last year. They got rid of Tommy Pham. Uh, they brought in Manny Margot and Hunter Renfro in separate trades from the Padres. And the the signing that I really, they got rid of their closer, Emilio Pagan, but they have, again, plenty of relievers to fill in that, that depth. My favorite signing and the addition that I think could be humongous for them is Yoshitomo Satsuko. He was Japan's cleanup hitter. He was the best power threat in NPB. Walks a ton, you know, over 100 walks a year. Great on base ability, all fields power. There's no way to quantify how a guy is going to perform coming over from the Japanese league, especially a hitter. But we've seen what Otani's done. And Sutsugo was on his level in terms of hitting, not in terms of contact ability, but certainly in terms of power, you know, far surpasses Otani. And uh, his, his eye is, is rock solid and maybe his best hole. So you have a, a potential star that you sign for cheap who wants to play for you in Yoshitomo Sutsugo. And he could be a difference maker in, in helping close the gap against the Yankees. I agree. And then there's, you know, the Rays are so well managed. They have their own system and, and Kevin Cash likes to move his lineup around. They do have a glut of outfielders with the Margot signing and Margot. It seems like in, in last, in the last couple of years, I always pick him up in fantasy around July. It seems like he starts hitting and five starts stealing bases in the second half of the season, but they, they can take a loss at a pitcher, you know, a Tyler Glasnow or, you know, Charlie Morton or a Blake Snell injury. And, and they could just keep on going and you can make fun of them for having the ugliest turf and the ugliest roof and only having $13 tickets and a stingray in the in the tank in the outfield but I mean they're a fantastic team and organization to watch and if everything goes down for the Yankees and this is definitely the team that you want to watch but yeah I completely agree with you here so do we have are we going to make a bet on these guys I mean our projection is pretty close to what their win total is but is is there something that may be a little bit inflated so I had the Rays futures last year I had them a little bit divisional I think 10 to 1 uh, a little bit World Series I think there's value in betting them to win the AL East. I have them, I believe it or not, plus 400, which is implied 20%. You can get them as high as plus 700 in the market, which is implied 12.5%. So that's it's about a 7.5% gap in terms of an edge. In reality, though, I'm, I'm hesitant because this Yankees team is so good. I just happen to see value and I, I love this Rays team. It's just I, I'm wondering if I'm going to be Ripping up that ticket at the end of the year, you know, wondering why I ever bet it because the Yankees won 118 games. So uh, that's the only place this hesitancy stems from is just the Yankees being so good. Absolutely. But, you know, there's always that team, you know, the Minnesota Twins of the world. And there's always teams that completely overperform. And and there's some teams that have injuries that you didn't see coming from a mile away. So certainly with uh, an inflated number in the Rays to win the division, I mean, at some point you've got to say, well, that's just you know, that's just too much. And I, I've got to take a piece here because you never know what's going to happen. Cubs are among three favorite picks by everybody. This hit a ton to center field. Back is Hamilton going up. Did he get it? He got it. He got it. If we want to look uh, at our next team that's in the AL East, uh, a team that I was on the under with last year with total motivation to turn around and hit their over this year. And that was the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, the kids on the farm are getting older. Uh, last season, 
Vegas projected them at 74 and a half. Their 2019 win total came to 67. Pythag says they should have won four more games than that. They should have finished at 71. Vegas Westgate has them right now at 76 wins. Sean, you got them at 76 wins. Uh, I know that the projection is right spot on with what Westgate has on them right now, but this is a team that I faded last year because I felt like no matter what, they were going to be sellers at the deadline and they were going to work on building themselves. This year, I think things have changed a little bit. I think if there's a pitcher out there that they can go out and get, I think they might go out and get them. I mean, it could be huge for the organization to make a wild card or maybe to finish over 500 or maybe to actually do something special here. But the hitting on this team is tremendous and they are a lot of fun to watch. And Guerrero, I mean, haven't seen him live a couple of times just to hear the, the ball come off his bat is one of the more amazing things I've heard in, in, in years at a baseball game. But how do we feel about, you know, this team as far as their chances to actually go over their win total, maybe do something a little bit more? Yeah. So I, I think I had a similar, you know, momentum as you in terms of fading them last year and then trying to go over this year. Vlad is concerning me based on where I was, you know, evaluating his talent compared to last year. He was, he was a minus nine at third base in 96 games, which is pretty much the worst third baseman defensively in baseball. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if he's going to get any better or much better at all. There's a chance he might need to move to first base sooner than the Jays had anticipated. He always seemed like he had a body type that would need to move to first eventually, but it might be more immediate. If you're looking at who's the better prospect between him and Bichette, I would probably take Bichette. Hitting last year, Bichette was a 142 WRC plus, Guerrero was a 105, Biggio 114, Guriel 124. And I think amongst the four, Guriel has probably the most immediate upside for this season. Always considered to have the most raw power in that organization. It's direct from the mouth of a scout from the Lijays. The season that he had last year with the speed, hitting 20 home runs and in a limited number of contests. I mean, he's he was on a 40 home run pace over 84 games last year with steals amongst that. 82nd percentile and hard hit rate. So Guriel, fantasy guy for this year, seems like a true breakout guy. They they added Travis Shaw, who I think is interesting because he, he hit, what, like 35 home runs two years ago for the Brewers and just kind of got right. hurt last year. And I think his dad played for the, the Blue Jays or something as well. So there's a connection there. But Shaw's interesting to me. I mean, their infield could be phenomenal in terms of offensive output. You know, they added Hunjin Roo to the rotation. They, they pretty much recycled their or shuffled over their whole rotation. They have a whole bunch of new pitchers in there with, with Rue and Tanner Roark, Shun Yamaguchi. So it's it's certainly a much improved team. And I think the fact that, as you mentioned, they might be willing to add more pitching, you know, they didn't sign Rue for year four of his deal. They signed him for years one and two of this deal, right? So they yep. want to get it competitive as quickly as possible. And I don't think they'll uh, they'll miss out on any opportunity to continue to improve the roster. I just think the, the bullpen behind Giles is pretty weak. And they, they might struggle defensively. But beyond that, I do like what I'm seeing. And, and like I said, I think they could surpass the Red Sox. Yeah, and they've got a plan. I mean, they, they, this has been the plan the entire time was to, you know, get some seasoning on the kids on the farm. And, you know, Teoscar Hernandez is something nobody's talking about, especially from a fantasy standpoint. Just, you know, Hernandez can crush the ball. So, you know, now that he's got more lineup protection, he's got, you know, other people in the lineup that can hit the ball. Maybe he sees better pitches, at least where he's, you know, currently projected to hit in the lineup lower on in the bottom third. I mean, that definitely could be an advantage for a guy that actually can really hit. So uh, that's a player that I like from a fantasy standpoint, Matt Shoemaker. I, 
I, I mean, I, I have lost so many bets on this guy and, and lost so many unders with this guy when he was with the Angels. I don't know what the Blue Jays are going to get out of him from a, a pitching standpoint. But, I mean, it just goes to the point of when they get to the trade deadline, I do feel like the Blue Jays are going to be more buyers or at least stand pat than they would be sellers. Uh, and, and most of it comes to the pitching rotation. And and that comes that falls upon Matt Shoemaker, who I, I've, <laughs> I've never been able to trust with my own money. I had high expectations for the guy, and it just never seems to pan out. That ball is crushed to left field. Up and back. So the Blue Jays we like, the Yankees we like, the Rays we like, the the Red Sox we don't like. To close the pod, we're going to talk about another cellar dweller, which is the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Signs of life for this team, uh, not there yet. So let's talk about 2019. 54 wins for the Baltimore Orioles after a Vegas projection of 59 and a half. 59 and a half was a real projection by Vegas that was put out there and they still didn't get to it. Pathag says that they should have got to 60, that they should have eclipsed that win total, but they didn't. They are set at Westgate at 56 and a half right now. Sean, you're right on the money with your projection at 56 wins. Is there anything that we're betting on for or against? Is there something we're waiting on? Is there a solo? Is there, what can we say about the Baltimore Orioles? Is there, is there a betting deliverable out of this team anywhere? No, in short, <laughs> you know, they're very similar to the Tigers to me in that they have like one or two guys on their entire roster that I would, I would pick to put on a major league team. If you gave me Trey Mancini and Matt Boyd, maybe Michael Givens, and maybe Ryan Mountcastle who's one of their prospects, like that's all I want from those two major league rosters. They were the worst defensive team in baseball last year. Their starting pitchers pro- project for 5.3 wins above replacement. If you just pick free agent pitchers, you could get five wins above replacement. Their lineup projects for 10.4 wins above replacement. If you just took free agent hitters, you could get to 10.3 wins above replacement. In other words, the Orioles are just as good as a team of handpicked free agents. Mark Trumbo's gone. The defense has to be better now that Mark Trumbo's gone, right? Former Major League home run title winner, Mark Trumbo. Yeah, that, that kind of fell off the face of the earthquake. Uh, they still have Chris Davis, so you have another Major League home run title winner there. I believe two-time winner. They added, you know, Wade LeBlanc, who's always been destined to be an Oriole because he's one of the worst pitchers in baseball. Jose Iglesias. Other than that, there's there's pretty much nothing redeeming about this team. Fantasy perspective, Anthony Santander, former Rule 5 guy, had 20 home runs in under 100 games last year, hits in the three-hole. Asher Woj, you know, started throwing a cutter last year. He was an independent ball guy. He had, like, a couple dominant starts, one against the Red Sox that I was on that he's really stuck in my mind because he, he showed, like, a plus-breaking ball in that start. And there's a chance if he finds some consistency, he could get traded to a contender and maybe be, you know, a contributor to a uh, contending team. But... Other than that, I've, I've really got nothing on the Orioles. They're just, uh, they're being run, you know, in a, in a way that I think is encouraging now. Uh, Michael Elias came from Houston. So they, they seem to have direction and a plan and they're going to be more analytically inclined. They were actually shifting their players defensively last year. So even though they were bad defensively, they, they had an idea of what they were doing instead of just standing in their spots. So trending in the right way, even though it doesn't look like it, but uh, I don't think they're going to be any better than they were in 2019. From a fantasy perspective, you know, Givens has a usually has higher than a one to one, you know, K per inning ratio. Uh, <laughs> blown saves come and go, but uh, you know, he's the one that's got the most experience here. But I mean, this could be closer by committee on this team. Uh, you know, Trey Mancini, if you're in a points league, he strikes out way too much to, to, to roster. Other than that, he's good in a five by five standard. You know, Austin Hayes uh, it never panned out to be in what you know what he thought he was going to be from the prospect. You know, maybe there's some sort of fantasy zombie going on. Maybe he can 
find something, catch lightning in a bottle. But, you know, with this team, there's no, there's nothing actionable from a win total perspective. I mean, even with a number at 56 and a half, this is a team where there's just not enough talent. As Sean said, like you could handpick a bunch of free agents and still have better talent than what they actually have right now. So there is no, you know, betting deliverable on here. But as far as betting deliverables go, this is the end of the podcast. And uh, I think we'll go ahead and put in summary what we like best from here. There's a long fly ball, deep center field, Jackson's back, he leaps, he made an unbelievable catch! Sean, what do you got first off for best AL win total? I'd say it's probably a tie for me between Texas at 80 and a half and, and Boston at 86 and a half. But, uh, you know, if you made me pick one, I'll, I'll say Texas. I just think there's a little more, more value there and you can probably play an over 76 and a half and hit the middle on the nose. I, I'm going to stay in that same division. I'm going to go with the Seattle Mariners at under 67 and a half. I think that they are a shade of what the Toronto Blue Jays were last year, where I don't know if they have as much talent. I, I certainly don't think they have as much offensive talent, but they're just in a mode where they know that they're not going to be buying. Uh, they know that they are in complete rebuild mode. They're still trying to get the farm worked out. Their pitching situation is a mess and they've got new coaches everywhere. I like the under 67 and a half on the Mariners. All right. So from the best AL future standpoint, do you have one that you like better than any others? So at this point, I feel like a lot of the, the value has kind of been sucked out of the market. So the, the one team that we discussed who lines up with my projection, I see the A's at 2,800 at DraftKings to win the World Series. I, I have them at about 2,600. If they win the AL West, there's certainly value in that. If they get a wild card, there's not value in that. And that, that's kind of how you have to look at these futures, you know, with the, the Rays uh, to win the World Series or the A's or the White Sox, like whatever team you think can win their division is going to be more valuable than, than a team to just potentially make the wild card and slip through. Cause you're still going to find pretty actionable value in September on wild card teams, but not so on the teams that have their division locked up. Yeah, I completely agree. For me, Oakland A's at, you know, plus 400 odds to win the division. I love it. It's a fade of the Astros. Uh, at the same time, like I said, they're they're built for the regular season, not for the postseason. Uh, and I think there's going to be a big bounce back for Chris Davis. And they have pitching prospects. We have Johan Santana 2.0, uh, AJ Puck, who if you've not seen this AJ Puck kid pitch, it's uh, Randy Johnson-esque. Uh, the other one I'll mention is I love the Tampa Bay Rays. Sean's projections, which are fantastic, and you have to get on Action Network and see what he's got for MLB, for win totals, for projections. Uh, he's got it all listed. He's got the Tampa Bay Rays fair odds value at 4-1 to one to win the AL East. At 7-1, to one, it's just it's really too good of a number to pass up. But I really think I'm going to wait until pitchers and catchers report. The fever for baseball is back in. People start hearing the bats clank from, from spring training, from the grapefruit and the cactus league. And the number on the A's gets so high that there's finally a Tampa Bay Rays division number that's worth buying into that's just out of control. So I think that number could come at 750 or maybe eight to one. But I think the Rays are some, a team that I'm going to be looking to hit probably around the third week of March. All right. And then to wrap it up, we're going to talk about the best fantasy value out of the AL. If you're in some drafts and you need a player to target someone that no one else is going to be looking at to draft, I'm going to go with Hunter Dozier for the Royals. He's going to have multi-position eligibility first, third, uh, because Mikel Franco's there, he's going to get pushed out to a corner outfield spot. So he's going to have multiple positions he's going to be eligible for. Whether you play in a league that takes 10 games or 20 games to qualify to position, that'll be Hunter Dozier. But as we mentioned before, the power is real. The power is legit. He slumped a little bit and streaked a little bit, but he had played more games, I think over 130 games. That's more than he had ever played at all the levels he had played at before in his career. 
So that's expected for somebody that plays that many games. Uh, his, his contact, his barrel percentage, everything that you need in a home run hitter. Uh, I would suggest like Sean said in the podcast, anything that's over 200 to one on him to win uh, the home run title, I think is a bet from, but from an AL fantasy value, his ADP right now is around 195. I wouldn't wait. I, I, at 180, he's a guy that I would scoop up. Hunter Dozier for me on my fantasy teams. Yeah, uh, we mentioned it before, Nick Madrigal. Uh, I think he's going to get called up fairly quickly by Chicago. This guy struck out 37 times in his entire college career. All right. 44 to 16 walk to strikeout ratio in the minors. Pakoda, 90% projection, 315, 380, 463, nine home runs, 4.5% strikeout rate. You're talking about a leadoff hitter plus speed, maybe 25 steals, maybe nine homers, 300 average. Come on. When are you going to get that late in a draft? Yeah, I I'm I going to draft him on all my teams too. It just but still bugs me that I that he had to that he had to you know win the college World Series and and leave one team back behind without a without a World Series title. But I was on your your Razorbacks with you, so we can lament it together. Good for the Beavs. Good for us and our AL podcast. Uh, thanks for joining me, Sean. We're going to be back uh, with our NL part two, previewing all the win totals and the division futures and, and fantasy players. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. Peace out. See ya. finished talking.